Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. We've been on hiatus now for two or three weeks, I think, but we're back. Wait, we were? Yeah. We were? <laughs> what, what the hell were you doing? Uh, well, look, it uh, might be too much information, but any of you who've read my book, uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, know that I, I really uh, uh, let my diabetes get whacked out out of control uh, during the Dean campaign, and it's left me pretty vulnerable to the COVID virus. So uh, whenever I don't fly, I, I think last cycle once, um, yeah, once to Alabama to shoot those commercials with you, Alex, uh, for, for uh, Doug Jones. But so when I have to move uh, or travel now, I, I drive to avoid airports, busy places, airplanes. And uh, so I had a, quite a bit of driving to do over the last uh, week or two and decided it'd be a good job, a good idea to take a hiatus uh, uh, on this and also think about, about uh, what we're doing here. And so, you know, I want to get back to how we started that trippy show, which is to focus not so much on the day-to-day headlines and, and frankly, with Trump not being president anymore, it's a lot easier to do. Uh, Biden has lowered the temperature and calmed things down. Um, although there's, there's a lot out there that's happening still. Uh, but, basically start looking at the critical races of 2022 uh, from a manager's perspective. And, and again, get back to that, you know, 40, 40 years of experience boiled down to 30 minutes uh, for you listeners. Um, talk about what's important at this stage of the campaign, even though it's a uh, 2022 seems like a long way off. It's not. Candidates are starting to maneuver. They're starting to enter the race. They're, they're starting to uh, raise the money. And we're going to see how these races, key races, develop. We want to uh, give you a, a strategic eye view of, of what that means and, and what is a campaign manager you'd be thinking about right now. But the other thing we're going to do um, that I really wanted to do is uh, occasionally drop an interview show um, that may have nothing to do with politics, but just uh, somebody I'm really ex- excited to speak to or wanted to speak to uh, for a long time, or somebody I think has a, a really uh, uh, a perspective that I think you, you might want to hear that that it may have something to do with technology or 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 health or something, but uh, and, and definitely political interviews too. But we're going to mix those interview shows up a little bit. So with that, uh, look, it's great to be back. Thanks for hanging with us and being here. By the way, I was a guest on uh, Reed Galen, uh, who hosted the. Uh, Lincoln Project podcast uh, earlier in the week. It was great to be on with Reed, and I hope you give it a listen. Uh, you can check it out where you get this podcast. Uh, but Alex, um, you know, let's get to let's get to it. What do you want to focus on today? Yeah, Joe, I, I'm so glad I don't have to dial up any more Trump headlines. <laughs> it, it, a lot of people think that campaigns aren't quite in full swing yet because sometimes you, you won't hear about a candidate announcing yet. But as we're getting closer and closer to 2022, it really will be here before we all know it. And as, as we both know, uh, there are a lot of critical decisions that candidates are making right now that, that'll really may, maybe be even be make or break for the, for their whole campaigns. Uh, Joe, you touched on it at the top. You've been part of basically every kind of campaign in almost all forms from before they launch. I mean, I've, I've seen you recruit candidates to go all the way to the you know, very end. So uh, this first segment, I w- thought we could talk about a specific state and what you as your 
as a former campaign manager would, would be doing right now. Uh, this week, we're talking about the Buckeye State, and we really have to find Ohio a better name. That hurts me a little bit. But obviously, big Senate race next year. Rob Portman's retiring. The Democratic field's starting to shape up, but really no one's announced yet. And the Republicans, there's a couple already, which we'll get into in a minute. Joe, first of all, I want to just get your take overall on what's going on in Ohio. Look, I think Ohio is is really in play uh, for Democrats. And it's going to be a lot of it. It has to do with the fight that's going on on the and looks like to be going on on the Republican side. Um, you know, it's a microcosm of Trump versus the party again. What, 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 do you, what do we mean by that when it's actually, you know, the Trump party? But it, it, there are factions in that party. And so you see former treasurer Josh Mandel running hard for the Trump base, uh, as surely somebody will. And he's going to he's going to be the one pounding that drum as hard as he can. Uh, Jane Temkin, uh, she's a former uh, Republican Party chair, but she's not quite as hard right or as hard Trump as Josh Mandel. Now, we sort of saw this in Georgia in the Loeffler-Collins uh, fight to see who could be more, more Trumpy and get that nomination, and it didn't end well. And I think that's going to have some of the same consequences for the party, potentially with Republicans in Ohio. They, they could really uh, take a seat that's, yes, Ohio's uh, definitely trend, trending red, but I think there's a real opening there because of the race on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, you know, nobody's announced yet, but there are a couple of really strong uh, candidates right now. Uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, of course, you know, who's been, I, I think, uh, sort of in the in the um, sort of spirit of Sherrod Brown, you know, our fine and, and really good progressive senator from Ohio. So maybe um, maybe uh, he makes the race. But also you have health director, uh, Dr. Amy Acton, uh, who sort of the, the, the Dr. Fauci, uh, if you will, uh, for Ohio uh, through the COVID uh, crisis, who's uh, really uh, performed well during that crisis, I think uh, has a strong profile in the state uh, and is a Democrat. You know, and so you know, we may have a primary fight too there, but it's not the same kind of schism um, kind of fight that the Republicans are likely to have. Uh, I don't see uh, ours being, you know, who can get to, who can get further to the left um, so much uh, as to who can appeal to the kitchen table issues and health issues that are really concerning uh, as we come out of COVID uh, and the crisis over the next 18 months. Um, I think both uh, Tim Ryan and, and uh, Amy, Dr. Amy Acton may have a lot more positive uh, policy issues to debate uh, versus the Republicans fighting over, um, you know, the Trump you know, who can be more Trump. So we'll see how that one plays out. But I do think um, listeners should start paying attention to some of these these states and some of the races in them. And you really need to keep your eye because I think as Ohio develops, it really could portend whether we're actually going to pick up Senate seats or not, depending on how their primary plays out and how our, ours does. The one thing that's missing in Ohio there's groups like Cleveland Votes 
that have been out there doing a lot of work on the ground to organize a register, get out boats along the lines of fair fight in like fair fight has in Georgia. But the one thing that we did learn again from Georgia and Stacey Abrams is how important it is to, to help organizations like fair fight Georgia. And it, it, so they can start on the ground now uh, registering voters, staying in contact with them and being pr- ready to uh, energize and get them out to vote. Alex, I, you just found a, a, a group in, in Ohio that that our listeners might might be interested in, in, in finding out more about and maybe helping them. Yeah, there's a bunch of regional ones like Cleveland Votes, yeah. but there there is one uh, that's been around for about 10 years now called Ohio Organizing Collaborative that does just that. Um, they're obviously, if we're going to win Ohio, they're going to be a critical, and other organizations like them are going to be a critical part. So check them out. Joe, you brought up something a second ago that I also wanted to get a little deeper in, because this is kind of one of the big questions our party has to face this year. You mentioned whether or not it's a good policy to avoid primaries. Obviously, there's going to be one in Ohio. There's going to be a lot of Senate primaries around the country. How can we make them productive rather than make it like a Hillary-Bernie fight and and bleeding ourselves out of both resources and, and message too much before the general? Primary fights are not a problem. In fact, I've always thought that they create more energy within the party. We saw that with Obama versus Hillary when, you know, everybody was saying that was going to be a disaster and tear the party apart. We were much stronger for it. The difference is you can have a party fight where somebody takes their toys and goes home and, uh, you know, doesn't participate in the general uh, that's always a problem when that happens. And that did happen to some extent in the 2016 race uh, after Hillary, the Hillary-Bernie fight. But I think, look, you've seen amazing unity on the Democratic side since then, understanding what the stakes are. Uh, and we're in 2020 and are going to be in 2022. I mean, we barely held on. Um, you know, it was great for Biden to win. We barely held on to the House. Um, we had we the Senate's 50 50. Uh, uh, we're we 2022. If we slip in the midterms, uh, we could be right back in that soup again, and it won't be easy to get out of it. It's not easy this time. So, we really, I mean, I just think that the unity on the Democratic side, let's have the those primaries are going to happen. Uh, there's no avoiding them, but I don't believe that Democratic voters are going to stay home because they lost. You know, their their person didn't win. Not when they're looking across at the likes of uh, Josh Mandel, you know, who, who puppeting Trump again. You know, that's still going to be Trump isn't going away. Trumpism is out there. It's going to show its ugly face in a lot of these Republican, all of them Republican primaries. I doubt the more moderate Republican will beat that back. Um, so I think, and and there's the rub it, when they when one of their uh, when somebody who isn't a full blown Donald Trump supporter somehow gets their nomination. I think a lot of the Trump voters are going to stay home. Uh, in fact, one of the things that may make Ohio different in. 2022 is Trump's not on the ballot. Uh, We've seen this over and over again. Yes, they turned out in 2016. Yes, they turned out in 2020 when he was on the ballot, particularly in rural areas across states like Ohio. They turned out um, 
uh, in record numbers, the Trump voters. Uh, that didn't happen in 2018. It didn't happen in 2017 in the Doug Jones race that we won in Alabama. I think it's highly unlikely that the, without Trump on the ballot, you're going to see that kind of surge Trump turnout. It hasn't happened anytime he wasn't on the ballot. So at the same time that they're sort of having this fight in their party uh, and desperately, you know, in the end, they've got to expand beyond the Trump base to win some of these elections, to, to start picking up some more independence. People that, that, have been, that Trump's lost since January 6th um, and, and, and have walked away from the Republican Party. I'm sure some of them, many of them, we've seen this uh, in the voter registration um, drop off in places like uh, Arizona and Nevada, uh, where people are tracking this stuff. People, you know, Republicans have switched uh, uh, their registration to independent. I suspect some of that's happening in Ohio too. So with that, this is really about starting now focusing now on a state, not waiting till, you know, January, 2022 to say, Oh, Hey, we got to register some people or, or we need to start organizing on the ground. Uh, that's, we can't do that. So when does it make sense for a Tim Ryan or a Dr. Acton or a, a candidate to announce and actually enter the field? If you were advising one of them, when would you say they should get in officially? I think that the first person in uh, tends to have a big advantage, uh, in, particularly in this environment, because I think, again, there's a lot of energy among Democrats and progressives to look at 2022, to build on the success of Georgia, to find candidates, support them, and get going early and make sure you know there's an organization and a campaign that can win. Uh, and I think waiting this cycle is going to hurt. I think there are a lot of people, you know, the, the old game of I'll wait till uh, the right time when I can, you know, let's see who else is in this thing and is not going to work. I think the, the thing that uh, I would argue in this cycle is if you're, th if you're going to run, get in the race now, start raising the money, start putting your team together, start, um, putting the, the campaign mechanics together. And, and that early, I think, start, uh, particularly as social media and, and online fundraising, it takes time to build up. I think anybody who gets a head start, and we saw this, in, by the way, in 2020, a lot of candidates who got in early, you know, and some of them had, you know, a great video or something, but they immediately took off. And, and then all kinds of other people got in the race and they could never catch them. Amy McGrath might be a, a good example of that, right? Uh, so I think, no, the first thing is, uh, I think if I were uh, Tim Ryan or, or Dr. Amy Acton, uh, I, I'd, I'd stop exploring and get in. Um, uh, you know, if you already know you're, you want to run, I'd go. And that, that's, I think, the same in, in places like North Carolina and uh, uh, other states where we have a shot. So before we switch gears, I can't mention Ohio without talking about Jim Jordan. Um, I, obviously, Ohio 4 is tough, but what can Democrats do to either win the seat or at least try to capitalize on him just flapping his mouth? Well, look, I mean, he's one of the 147, a group you and I have started to really look at. Because, I mean, and a lot of people are who, you know, voted to not certify the election, basically throw out the 
and did it after the the insurrection. Um, and and so look, you know, the, the first thing way you need to think about it is, you know, Jordan won by thirty nine points in twenty twenty. Uh, he, he actually outperformed Trump because uh, Trump only won by over thirty five percent. So you know, the district is a tough district, but part of this way to win statewide is to, you've got to fight everywhere. You know, he, he, obviously Jim Jordan is a target uh, that makes it easy to raise money uh, by going after him. But beyond banking that money, um, we've got to invest it in really organizing, not, but everywhere, including Ohio 4, right? Because if you, if he only, if a Democrat running against him, and that's the other thing, we need to have good candidate to run against him. But uh, if the candidate running against him only loses by 20 points this time, that means the state, our statewide candidates are doing a, 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 a much better job, right? I mean, that was, we're, we're lifting by, by competing in every district and by focusing organizationally and making sure we get Democrats out in Ohio for we're making a difference statewide for Democrats. I mean, so that's why if, you, if you're in that district, you don't give up, uh, find a good candidate. And I look, there'll be plenty of people. And, and look, Jim, Jim Jordan should be called out. He shouldn't get a free pass just because he's gerrymandered into the safest district in Ohio for him. That's, the, that's not what this is about. On the other hand, you know, blowing tens of millions of dollars trying to defeat him isn't smart either. So, yeah, I think there are plenty like Jim Jordan among the 147 who the animosity uh, and the anger at what they did uh, will certainly help uh, a candidate raise money or uh, a PAC raise money. But it's what we do with that money in terms of really trying to work at the grassroots level to make a big difference in terms of organizing. And, and now in particular, uh, not just in his district, obviously, there's not a whole lot of registration that can go on there that, that would make much of a difference. But if people now start to get some of their help to some of these organizations like Cleveland Votes and the others you mentioned, they can, we can start making a difference. And if Jim Jordan is the face that helps raise some of that money, that's fine with me. So Joe, talking about Jim Jordan and, and the 147 brings us to a, a really yeah, obvious okay. second thing here. Obviously, a lot of Democrats are trying to figure out how people are supposed to not forget about what happened in January, because as everybody knows, voters do have short memories. And we'll get to what Louis Gohmert's trying to do in a minute, too. But what are we supposed to do? Yeah, well, look, uh, I, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows how committed I am to trying to find common ground uh, and bipartisanship um, and bring the country together. I mean, to end the polarization um, that's been out there and, you know, to sort of form a sense of, of citizenship, common citizenship. But when it comes to the 147, those re representatives and senators who after the insurrection actually went out and then voted not to certify Joe Biden as the duly elected president of the United States, according to the Electoral College, to certify those results. We, in my view, cannot give them a free pass. 
have to be held to account, not by name calling, but on the, you know, on their, the, their record and what they did. And so that's why um, you know, I joined with a bunch of, uh, with some of the best uh, researchers and pollsters in the party to form uh, and start Operation 147 so that we can make sure um, that we keep beating the drumbeat on these people, hold them accountable, not, not let them get a pass. I mean, you have, you, you literally have Republicans today voting, I mean, in, in, on a bill that was to give the Congressional Gold Medal to the Capitol Police officers who were there on January 6th, one who was killed, uh, the other who who led the uh, the mob away from the Senate chamber. Saved the vice president, yeah. Saved the vice president's life and a whole bunch of others. Republicans put a substitute bill in because they didn't like Louis Gohmert put a bill in to remove January, any reference to January 6th or any reference to an insurrection. The, the, his, his version of the bill said that the thing that, that these two officers, and, and including the officers who, who lost their lives, those officers passed in January of 2021. I mean, literally papered over, they're trying to erase the January 6th coup attempt. Um, you have guys like Ron Johnson, <laughs> Senator in Wisconsin, who's saying like he he wasn't worried on January 6th because, you know, those were patriots who loved their country. But if they had been Black Lives Matter people, oh boy, then he would have been scared to death. I mean, what th- this is not going to stand. And I think we have to hold them to account. So, uh, you know, what, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to go through the 147. Look, it's absolutely insane to go after and spend a whole lot of money, like I was talking about, um, in places where, you know, most of these, the 147, unfortunately, are in really safe seats that were hand drawn for them. Uh, by Republican state legislatures in a lot of uh, these states. But, you know, we've gone to work. We've identified uh, 13, 14 districts and and, uh, 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 members of the 147 that we think are marginal and that we think are worthy of showing the door uh, to and worthy of spending money to make sure that that happens. So we're going to put a list in at the end of this uh, on the show notes to go over those districts for you but each week you know we may pick out one or one or two but it's it's operation uh 147 and you know i think it's going to be really important because uh let me explain what's going on in 2020 in the house i i think we're going to gain senate seats um in 2022 the republicans just have too much to defend certainly they're going to come uh, for Mark Kelly in Arizona and, and, and uh, Warnock uh, in Georgia, those will be high on their list to win, um, to, to feed our incumbents. But there are several, like Portman in Ohio, Blunt in Missouri, you know, sort of uh, Toomey in, in uh, Pennsylvania, where their incumbents, uh, knowing full well that they would lose 
to a Trumpian primary uh, have have you know retired early. We can we we can compete in Pennsylvania. We can try and we should and must compete and win in Ohio. And you know Missouri is going to be tough, but the same thing. They're going to have a, a a big messy fight there for the, their primary. So that's the Senate. I actually think we can hold the House, where we only now have it by you know a handful of seats, is in trouble because of reapportionment and the Republicans uh, uh, being able in these state legislatures to draw uh, new lines now uh, that the census uh, and reapportionment will happen. And there have been a lot of, I think the Cook Report, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, said that uh, the pro- we literally start uh, minus 10 seats because of, uh, because of uh, the way the Republicans are gonna be able to redraw these congressional lines in which states are losing seats. And we've been through some of this before. It's why we did this, uh, started this pack. You know, we're not gonna leave, uh, you know, certainly on the Senate side, Holly and Cruz uh, and some of those who, who are in the, the seven Senate members, most of them are not up uh, this cycle, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, we shouldn't let them off the hook either. We've got to be vigilant and, and point it out when, when they, like they or Ron Johnson say and do these insane things, got to be there and make them pay for it. So you're talking about a fight in the House, but the other thing that I think is going to be really important for us in the next year and a half is what the hell we end up doing with the filibuster. So, look, the Democrats haven't really been able to govern like they they won, like they did, mostly because of the filibuster in the Senate. Uh, Biden came out in favor of reforming it this week, saying he kind of wants to take it back to how it was. But, you know, McConnell has essentially threatened scorched earth to any changes to the filibuster. If, if you're Biden and Democrats here, what do you do and how do you negotiate with a party that only cares about obstruction? Well, one, uh, you can't negotiate with a party that only cares about ex- obstruction. On the other hand, it's not that easy, uh, which is what we're seeing, I think. Uh, and, you know, who knows this better than anybody is Biden. You know, Biden is old school Senate and so I think he probably understands why this isn't so easy here, not with where the Senate is, is a 50-50. In a organizing the Senate or rules, uh, Kamala Harris doesn't have a vote in terms of like, is there a quorum? She doesn't have a vote. Uh, she doesn't get to make it 51. Quorum is 50 plus one. So if you can't have a quorum, you can't have a vote. So if you end the filibuster, what McConnell is threatening is is no votes, right? There there never is a vote to stop a filibuster uh, or not because there you would have to require. In other words, all Democratic senators would have to be there for a quorum call, all of them, and if they did the quorum call, and then the Republicans left. There's only 50 Democratic senators there. You don't have a quorum. You can't have a vote on the Voting Rights Act on anything. It's just a different kind of filibuster. So, and I think Biden understands the rules and how this works and what's really the play behind the scenes. 
than most of us who are sitting there going like, get rid of the filibuster. It's horrible. It's the worst. It is. But what, what it, it, and so like if we had 52 seats, getting rid of the filibuster would make sense. They can't play that game. But right now McConnell actually could literally, you know, if the filibuster is used to obstruct, fine, and you get rid of it, fine. We'll show you how we'll obstruct. And it just won't, there just will never be a quorum for any of the key votes that you want to have, which is, and you, there's no way to break that. At least a filibuster, you could, you know, uh, over time. So I think this is really a, 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 I don't, I don't have an answer to the problem. Uh, I mean, what I'm saying is I think a lot of people who are saying, let's get rid of it, uh, and who, by the way, I believe are correct. So that's, let me make that really clear, aren't clear on understanding what that threat really is and how, and, and then which one's worse, the filibuster or no quorum. Maybe the no quorum thing and forcing that make it clear what the Republicans are doing. In other words, if, if, if I'm in favor of killing the filibuster and forcing McConnell to do it this way, what what are the American people, it's it's a different thing. Right now, we're having a Voting Rights Act vote and not a single Republican showed up for the vote versus, you know, they 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 argued, they debated for hours and hours in a in a historic filibuster to, you know, is a different thing. So I I come down on um even understanding the consequences, I think I come down on, I mean, I know I'm for uh, reforming or getting rid of the filibuster, I th- but I think that the danger that Biden may be and some in the Senate may be worried about, it's a, it's, it's a danger, but I'm, it may be the best way to make the argument that the Republicans it, it make it clear to everybody on, you know, if they fail on, no, not a Republican shows up for a vote on infrastructure uh, or whatever it is, that might be, I, you know, I might call McConnell's bluff on that. So thanks for listening to that trippy show. By the way, if you have a race you want us to spotlight or a question, please submit it on the iTunes in the review section or email us at thattrippyshow at gmail.com. Uh, check the show notes for the 140, Operation 147 uh, list of targets that we're working on. Go to the website if you can and check it out, and we'll see you next Friday. Thanks for waiting through the hiatus for us, and hope you'll come back next time. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and you may know me from my career on Wall Street or my 11 days in the White House. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I'll tell you, if you read books, you can. I love to read, and my new podcast, Open Book, is about just that. Each book is this curated source of knowledge, which we can buy for $10 and digest in 10 hours. Together with some of the brightest minds and authors out there, I'll turn the pages on everything from history and psychology to finance and tech. You can find Open Book with Anthony Scaramucci on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there.